Well, only nine days until Christmas. <laughs> Just around the corner, and uh, the train is moving. Everything is happening. All kinds of things to do. Appreciate you so much being with us, worshiping our Lord and Savior today. Christmas is a wonderful time. I should love Christmas music. Ah, that is so meaningful to, to listen to songs we've heard so many times over the years. And Christmas lights, those are wonderful to gaze upon, to go throughout our neighborhoods. And then there's food. Christmas food. Let me just give you some advice. If you're struggling on a diet right now, it's now December 16th. You've done what you can for this month. So just take this scale, hide it someplace in the house, and wait till January 2nd. All right? And you have a fresh start. <laughs> and you have family. I've got some special family here today. I have my wonderful mother-in-law, Carolyn Hawbaker, down here, and uh, she is such a blessing uh, to me. Uh, lost her beloved Everett uh, earlier this year, and uh, but she's a real blessing. And then also Lori's sister Karen is up from Tennessee, and uh, they came up during prayer for that dysfunctional family person, being me. And uh, that problematic guy, you know, comes to holiday gatherings. But I uh, love you guys, and uh, great to have you. Uh, Christmas gifts. That, that's always fun to figure out. What are we going to give that special person? And I just, it still blows me away that I can be sitting there on the couch with my laptop doing Christmas shopping. And they're going to deliver right to my door. <laughs> That amazes me. I don't know. I just I, things are changing so much. But uh, here's a question: You know, what are you going to give Christ this Christmas? You've heard that question many times before, but it's an appropriate question. It's his birthday, right? What are you going to give Christ this Christmas? And you know what Christ wants? He wants you. He doesn't want anything else. He just wants you. And what keeps? Jesus Christ from you is sin. Sin breaks our fellowship with Jesus. And, and the door to open that fellowship again is, uh, the key that is, is, is repentance. When we repent, we open the door of God's grace. And He comes into our sinful situation and He loves us and comforts us and restores us. But you've got to repent first. That's a prerequisite. God demands repentance, that you agree that what you've been doing is wrong and you need to get back on track. We've been going through a series entitled, A Not-So-White Christmas. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Tamar, found in Genesis 38. And I gave this warning earlier, but I'll do it again. This is a PG-13 story. It's very much a PG-13 story. So if everybody high school, through high school, you know, I would recommend uh, they go to their classes. All right? Just to forewarn you about this. We're just reading from the Bible, but the Bible's pretty raw sometimes. Okay? Uh, I ask, why are we talking about this then? Well, it's part of the Christmas story. 
I never heard that part. <laughs> but you'll hear it today because we read in Matthew chapter 1 the genealogy of Christ, which is really the beginning of the Christmas story. Many people skip over that yeah, a bunch of names. No, no, no. For Matthew, he's establishing Jesus Christ as king here, so we've got to pay special attention to this story, uh, this genealogy. So we read in Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. So let's take a look at a list here of what we've read so far. Uh, you have Abraham, Abraham uh, he's the patriarch. I don't know about Abraham, right? And then he had the son Isaac, the, law, the promised son that they had in their 90s. And then we had Jacob, that was Isaac's son, and he had 12 boys that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know Joseph was one of those boys, and also Judah was one of those boys. And we're going to be talking about Judah today in relationship to Tamar. He was a rebellious son. Then the genealogy throws Tamar in there, who was Judah's daughter-in-law. Now, typically women were not a part of genealogies. It's very strange, but God puts her in there for a very particular reason. That's why we're studying uh, her life. And then Perez, that's her son, and that's the son of Judah and Tamar. Now, this is the series that we're moving through, uh, Jesus' Family Tree, December 1st and 2nd. That was the first in the series. Meshiva's bath last week looked at David primarily and uh, his sinful rebellion and his repentance. Tamar's trick will be looking at Judah primarily and his sinful rebellion and his repentance. Uh, Rahab's rope. I just want to let you know, we really want to encourage you to invite people out to our family this season. They're more likely to come out this season than any other time uh, during the year, especially Christmas Eve. Now, we're going to talk about this story today, but it's going to get a lot lighter after that. Okay. <laughs> Rahab, she was a prostitute, but, you know, doesn't go into any details. It'll be a very light story. And uh, then we'll talk about uh, Mary and Christmas Eve, and then we'll talk about Ruth's romance, a very nice story as well. So you've got your invitation cards there. So my encouragement to you is to go out there and invite your friends. The Christmas Eve, it's a cultural tradition in our nation still, thankfully. So they'll just say, oh, I'm going to another church, or I'm going to my families, and that's fine. They won't, they won't, it's like a stranger inviting me to your church. No, so, oh, Christmas Eve, yeah. Well, invite them, and even if they say no, it's a way you're showing interest in them spiritually. And if you want, you can say, well, if you can't make it on Christmas Eve, we do have a service on Sunday, which is just the day before Christmas Eve. It's almost like Christmas Eve, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> work it, you know, pray about it, and then ask the Lord to work uh, through you. We have more cards out there that you can invite people out to. Christmas Eve services on uh, Monday are going to be at 3.30 and uh, 5 o'clock. All right. Well, now, the whole purpose behind Christmas, Jesus Christ coming to this world, giving his life, is in order that we might have a relationship with God through his incredible grace, his grace. So that's what we're focusing on, God's grace. We see God's grace in all of these women's lives. And, you know, to appreciate God's grace, you need to understand how ugly sin is. 
Because God's grace doesn't mean anything unless you understand how ugly sin is. And if you appreciate how ugly sin is, then grace just becomes so much more beautiful. And we're going to go through a story today that is very ugly. In fact, there's a lot of ugly stories in the Bible. There's a lot of sin in the Bible. And that's why we know that it's God's Word. One of the reasons, because if somebody was writing a book to promote a religion, they wouldn't include stories like this. <laughs> the, reason God, the reason God includes these stories is to say, yeah, you got a real problem, you're sinful, and you need me. So, let's uh, take a look at this story. Genesis chapter 38. Now, what's interesting about this story is Genesis chapter 37 is Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and Judah leading the way, who we're talking about today. Judah said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's make some money off this kid. And they just hated Joseph because he was, a, or he was uh, Jacob's favorite. So he sold him into slavery. And then all of a sudden we go into Genesis 38. It's like, where did this chapter come from? And then we go into Genesis 39. It goes back to Joseph's story. Now, why is this chapter here? Well, you'll see. So this, this, this chapter tells the story of Judah, what happened in Judah's life, while Joseph was in slavery. Or wasn't not in slavery, but in prison and uh, going through the different things that he went through in Egypt. All right? So it happened at the time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, Judah is rebelling in a major way. Because God said to Abraham and Isaac... And Jacob, whatever you do, don't have anything to do with the Canaanites. Don't be friends with them. Don't intermarry with them. And when the Jews went into the promised land, he said, kill all Canaanites. Because they are so ungodly, they are so evil, they are so wicked. If you have anything to do with them whatsoever, you are going to be led away from me. That's how serious he was. Don't do anything with Canaanites. So what does Judah do when he rebels? I'm going to go hang out with the Canaanites because that's exactly what God doesn't want me to do. And maybe you've been through a period of rebellion in your life. Maybe you're rebelling against God right now. Maybe you know somebody who's in rebellion. You don't have to be a teenager to rebel. You can be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s. You can rebel any time in your life, right? Well, we're going to see an illustration of hardcore rebellion in Judah's life. So, he heads off and he has a friend named Hira. Not a good friend, as we'll see. Verse 2, There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her. He made her his wife. And God said, Don't do that. And Judah said, I'm going to do it. You say don't, I'll do it. He took her and went into her and she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son. And she called his name Onan. So two children so far. Verse 5, Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Selah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Again, arranged marriages back then, so he picked up a wife. 
<laughs> for Tamar, or for Era, that is, and that was Tamar. Then in verse 7, but Er, uh, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now, I mean, for God to, to become so angry at a Canaanite who was already the definition of wicked, we don't know what this guy was into. But God took him out, one son dead. Now, verse 8, Then Judah said to Onan, Go to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the Leverite law, which said that if you have a brother who dies, you are to marry his widow in order that his lineage might continue and in order that that widow might be provided for. Because back in that day, if you were a widow or an orphan, you had no one to care for you. You were poor. You were destitute. That's why it always talks in the Bible. Care for the widows and orphans. Care for the widows and orphans. Because they had no one protecting them. So that's why this law was established. Because once a, a woman had been married, nobody wanted to marry her. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. That's why they were widows and they didn't get remarried because nobody wanted to marry them. Very sad state uh, in the culture at that time. But uh, so we have this going into action. Judah says, okay, this is what happens. Uh, your brother, Ur, he erred in a big way. <laughs> he was wicked and he died. Uh, now Onan, you're the brother. Now the, fa the father was supposed to take care of this, make sure it happened. Onan, now it's your responsibility uh, to have a, to first of all marry Tamar and have a child and take care of her. So he's trying to do the right thing, I guess. Uh, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So he, he, he knows, hey, I'm not splitting up my inheritance here. I don't want to get involved. Very selfish. So whatever he went, so whenever. Uh, he went into his brother's wife. He would waste his semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Very selfish individual, did not want to give Tamar a child, and the Lord killed him. Now Judah, two sons, three sons, and two are dead so far. Not doing very well as a father. Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Selah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brother. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Now, this is very interesting. So, he says to Tamar, Now, Selah is my third son, and what I'm going to do is he's going to marry you, but he's not old enough. Usually they married around 14 or 15 back in the day, and uh, so he wasn't old enough, so they were going to wait. So you go back to your dad's house, stay there, he'll take care of you, and then when Selah's old enough, you guys can get married. Now, we see his hidden motivation here, motivation here, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. What was going on in Judah's rebellious mind? I think this is what was going on, is that he was thinking that Tamar was a curse. This woman was like a witch. Wherever she got around, died. Bad things happen. 
So he was blaming, I believe, the deaths of his two children on Tamar. And he didn't want Selah to marry Tamar because he thought he would die as well. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, the problem is Judah's the problem. Tamar hasn't done anything wrong yet. He's the one who's rebelled against God. He's the one that went into Canaan. He's the one who took a wife. He's the one who had children. He's the one who's causing all this pain in his life. I really believe one of the reasons God took his sons was out of discipline. He was disciplining Judah for his rebellion. He says, okay, you're going to go down to Cana, and you're going to sin against me? You're going to have children? Well, I'm going to take your children. I believe that happened. I tell you what, if you are rebelling against God, you are in a very dangerous position. Because God is going to discipline you. And He is going to cause pain in your life. Because that's the only thing you're going to respond to. So if you think, oh, yeah, it's no big deal if I go off and live my own life and I play church and but I'll go out and do whatever I want to do. and I can't tell you how much danger you're in. And if you're in rebellion right now and you have problems, there's a good chance that some of those problems are because you're in rebellion. God's allowed those problems in your life to get your attention, to wake you up. That's what's going on in Judah's life. But, he, of course, when you're in rebellion... <laughs> You don't, want to, you don't want to accept that. You're in denial. No, it can't be me. I, hey, I, I've got life handled. I know what to do. Uh, you know, it's got to be somebody else's problem. So it's Tamar's problem. So I'm going to get rid of her. Well, we go on in verse uh, 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So his wife dies. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. Now, this seems like a pretty innocent verse unless you know the background. You have all this as an agrarian society. So you have farmers and ranchers and sheep herders, and, and they're all living these solitary lives all over the place. But maybe a couple times a year, they would come to shear their sheep. Or they might, you know, barter and have resources uh, to live off of. And what we know is that when they, again, this is the Canaanites, all right? These are evil people. When they came together to party, I mean, they really partied hard. This is like going to New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And probably much worse. So that's what's going down here, all right? When Judah was comforted, he went up to New Orleans to the Sheep Shearers Convention. Okay. With he and his friend Hera. Hera's there. Hera says, come on, Judah. Let's go down and have a good time. And the question that you and I have to ask, do we have a friend like Hera? Do you have a friend that leads you into sin? Do you have a friend that leads you to talk about things that you shouldn't talk about? To watch things that you shouldn't watch, to do things that you shouldn't do. Well, God says, cut that friendship off. Repent that you're in that friendship. Minimize that friendship to whatever degree you have to, to no longer be influenced by them. 
Get rid of that friend. It's painful, but... So God says, get that Canaanite out of your life. Because they're going to cause you so much more pain in the future if you continue to follow them down the path of sin. So he's going down to the big sheep shearer convention to have a weekend of sin. All right. Well, we move on to verse 13. And when Tamar was told your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Inium, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Selah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. All right. The last part of the verse there, 14. For she saw that Selah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. She knew what was going down here, is that Judah had no intention of making Selah marry her and take her as a wife. And she was going to remain a widow. And you have to realize the full import of this. I mean, she was poor. She had nothing. And Selah was her only hope of leading a normal life where she was cared for. And she saw it was not going to happen. And she became desperate. And what desperate people do is they take things into their own hands. And many times that leads to sin, which it did in Tamar's situation. What she decided to do was to dress up as a prostitute in order to have sexual relationships, relations, that is, with her father-in-law, Judah, to give her the child that she felt she deserved. And really, under the law, she did deserve it. And there are some ancient customs, not Jewish, but, again, Canaanite customs, where this was okay. You could even have relationships with your father-in-law in order to get the child the protection that you wanted. Again, remember, she was not a God-fearer, all right? Now, it was sin, but we have to understand the context of this story. She was definitely sinning, and she uh, was misrepresenting herself. But uh, unfortunately, we can be very ingenious when we sin to some degree. And when you look at her, her plot, her, her, her strategy, it, it really is quite interesting. Um, so what happens is she dresses up as a prostitute. She sets herself up on the road uh, at the entrance of Enium. Uh, so she knows Judah's going to walk by there. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Well, of course. She looked like a prostitute. <laughs> Had a cover over her face. He turned her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? You know what the saddest thing here is? is that she knew that Judah would proposition her. <laughs> that was just a regular thing for him. She knew that he would take advantage of any time to, to you know, be the prostitute. Obviously, a double standard there was acceptable in Canaanite culture for uh, a man to do whatever he wanted with prostitutes, but if a woman was caught doing that type of thing, you know, she was going to be judged uh, for it. But, I mean, what kind of guy is this? He is a slime ball. He really is. He, he's a very evil man. And so uh, she knew that he'd proposition her, and he did. 
And she says, okay, you know, how much? How much are you going to give me? Verse 17, he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. Now, that, that, that's very valuable. I mean, that's milk on a regular uh, basis. So, that, that, he is a wealthy man, Judah was. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. So, I want some collateral. I'm just not going to go on your word. He couldn't get the goat right away. He'd have to bring it down or have somebody bring it down at some point. Uh, he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied. So, so what do you want me to give you as collateral? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So her plan worked. She had a baby by her father-in-law, which maybe in her ancient custom was, again, Accepted. We're not sure. Still sin, but... Now, what's really interesting about this is what he gave her as collateral. He gave his signet, which sometimes is a ring, which you endorse contracts with. It was uh, your insignia, very powerful piece of authority. Uh, and uh, your cord and your staff, same kind of things. Hebrew scholars say this is kind of equivalent if you gave a prostitute your wallet. <laughs> if your wallet with your driver's license and all your credit cards and all your money, all your ID, here, take this and hold on to it, and I'll be back to you. How stupid is that? How stupid is that? Now, come on. Judah was drunk with lust. I tell you, when you're drunk with lust for anything... You do and say stupid things, and that's why rebellion burns you bad. You think it's great up front. Hey, I'm having a good time. I'm doing what I want. Nobody's controlling me. And, you know, you're heading toward disaster. So we see it here. So the plan worked so far for her. Verse 19, then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. She didn't intend to be a prostitute. This is just part of her plan. Now she's going back to be a widow. Verse 20, when Judah sent the young goat, so, I mean, he's an honorable man in this way. He's going to pay the prostitute, you know. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, good old Hera, to take back the pledge uh, from the women, wants his ID back, his wallet, for the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where, where is the cult prostitute? Now, that was kind of like a higher-end call girl. <laughs> I mean, the Canaanites here, their, their religion was based around sex. They had prostitutes. You know, that's kind of how you worship. You know, how sick is that, right? You know, the gift of sex. And it's just like, yeah, they were evil. So, and he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute? Who is it? And he had them at the roadside, and they said, no cult prostitute has been here. 22, so he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. So he said, I kind of did my thing. But he doesn't want anybody to know that he gave his wallet to a prostitute. Okay? He knows people would laugh at him. People would call him a fool. And you know what the ironic thing is? 4,000 years later, I don't know about you, but I'm still laughing. <laughs> I'm still laughing. You know? 
This guy wants to keep it a secret, right? And then heirs in 4,000 years later knows it all. <laughs> you see, you sin in secret. I sin in secret, but it will be your sin will find you out, right? God will bring it out. If you think you're getting away with something, go ahead and think that. But it's not true. Don't think that. Because God will discipline you, and he'll bring your sin out. So we go on. About three months later, verse 24, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. Oh, Judah, what's the deal, man? In the, in the Hebrew it says, take, burn. Take, burn. Now, people who were immoral were not burned at the stake. I mean, even with the Canaanites, if you were burned at the stake, that meant that you were the worst of the worst of the worst. That was reserved for people who were major wicked. You know? I mean, why would he do this? Well, friends, it's because he was in denial and he blamed Tamar for all of his problems. And when he found out that she was immoral, he said, Yes! Now I have been proven right that this woman is a curse. She's an immoral person. And he's had so much hatred and bitterness building up against Tamar when, again, she hasn't done anything except for this last thing he doesn't even know she's done yet. He's willing to burn her at the stake. When we are in rebellion and we are looking at our sin, we are always blaming other people, right? We've all done that. Your spouse, your child, a friend confronts you with a sin in your life. And what do you do? You blame it on somebody else, right? Well, that's the way my parents raised me. Or, you know, it's because of this friend. Or you, you're the reason. <laughs> you're the reason I'm like this. You're the reason I'm sinning in this way. If you would change, then I would change. I mean... We are so creative. We are so uh, <laughs> defensive. We want to justify ourselves. That's what he was doing. He said, okay, finally my life is going to get better because I'm going to burn her at the stake and uh, she'll be out of my life and things will really move along. Now, Friends, if you are in denial, if you're blaming other people for your sins, Blaming your circumstances. It's time to come clean. It's time time to come before God and say, It's me! I am the sinner. I'm the one who makes the choices. I'm the one who continues to rebel against you. It's me, God. It's my sinful heart. I am responsible. But Judah's not there yet. Now, this is really dramatic. This is a fascinating story. Okay, so verse 25. 
as, she's, as she was being brought out. Okay, she's being dragged to the stake, okay, by, by a bunch of men. They're going to burn her. I mean, it's like it's going to happen right now. In the midst of that, she's holding on to what? She's holding on to the signet and the cord and the staff. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, Judah, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Identify. The word in the original Hebrew is hakarnan. It means recognize. Recognize who these are. And I think she was sending a deeper message to Judah. She was saying, recognize yourself. Recognize yourself, you hypocrite. You're burning me at the stake for a sin you committed with me. Now, she was taking a big risk here. She didn't know how this thing was going to go down because he could have still burned her and he could have covered up everything. She had no guarantee that this thing was going to work out. But she did it anyway. And in a strange way, God was using her to bring Judah back uh, to himself. This complicated story. And, and can you imagine Imagine Judah when the messenger brings his signet and his cord and his staff and he realizes that the prostitute was his daughter-in-law that is about to burn at the stake. <sighs> Ever been caught in sin? It's a bad memory, right? I mean, sometimes God's, God will do that too. He'll catch you. He'll have somebody catch you and you'll go. You know. Friends, does God have to bring you to that type of realization to get you to turn around? What happened in Judah's heart? Well, at that moment, he had a spiritual awakening. Look what he says. Verse 26. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give to her my son, Selah, and he did not know her again. He repented. He took the key of repentance. He put it in the door of God's grace, and it opened. Now, what did he mean here? This is interesting. And Judah, she is more righteous than I? It's not saying a whole lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> she, look at my righteousness. She's a, no, 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 no. Now, this is where we talked a month ago about compassion and the word sedak, which in the uh, original language means righteousness and justice. Remember we talked about that? Righteousness and justice. And so many times in the New Testament, we miss it all together. In the Old Testament, you'll see righteousness and justice many different times. But in the New Testament, they just translate it typically righteous. Well, again, the word means both things. I believe in this context, it should be, she is more just than I, since I did not give her my son Selah. I broke my promise to her. So, because I was not 
delivering justice to her. And delivering justice in that culture uh, was, again, the Leverite law. Uh, and, and he didn't do that. He didn't bring justice to her by giving her his third son. So she took on that responsibility herself to bring justice to herself. So even though she tricked him, he realizes that she tricked him in order to bring justice to herself that he did not give to her. Does that make sense? Isn't that interesting? She got the job done that he should have done, did it in a sinful way, but she got the job done, so she's saying, he's saying, she's right. She's more just than I. She's operating by these agreed-upon principles. And that's when he had this spiritual awakening. Now, I, I believe it was that point that God broke through in his life, broke through the denial, broke through the rebellion, and said, Judah, what are you doing down there in Canaan? Come on, man! And I believe that's when Judah turned to God and followed him. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know that if we look over in uh, Genesis chapter 44. Remember this whole story of... Uh, Joseph and how his brothers came for food, and he tested his brothers to see if they had changed or not. And finally he said, bring me Benjamin. And Judah had said, okay, Dad, Dad didn't want Benjamin to go. Remember what happened to Joseph. Uh, Dad, uh, listen, I will take Benjamin, and I guarantee his safety. So when Joseph says to his brothers, listen, just keep Benjamin here. The rest of you can go home, have the food that you need, and everything will be great. Judah is just heart-stricken over this. Well, remember, he could care less. I mean, Benjamin was another one of Rachel's sons. So Joseph and Benjamin were Rachel's sons. Those were the favored sons. So how is he going to respond to Benjamin now, being the favored son, which I'm sure he was? Uh, how is he going to respond? Well, look in verse 32. He's pleading with Joseph, please, I've been given the pledge to uh, take care of this uh, boy. For your servant... That's Judah, he's talking to Joseph, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Remember, he had lied to his father all his life about Joseph for 20 years. Abraham, uh, 20 to 30 years, Abraham thought Joseph was dead. Now Jews actually concerned about how his father's doing and how he feels about all this. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. He cares about his father. He cares about his brother Benjamin. This is a changed man. And it was at that point that Joseph knew that Judah was a changed man. Because we read in verse 1 of Genesis 45, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He knew Joseph knew God and loved God and loved little Benjamin. See, friends, we know that we have truly repented when our lives change, when our attitudes change, 
when our behavior changes, when we care about changes. That's the fruit of repentance that we see in Judah's life. And that's why God puts this fascinating story right in the middle of Joseph's story to show Judah before God got a hold of him, very evil, sold Joseph into slavery. And then after God got a hold of him, begging for Benjamin's life because he cares, because God is at work in his life. What an unbelievable story of grace! Isn't grace fantastic? And you say you wouldn't appreciate the incredible grace of God that's seen in this chapter if you didn't study all the ugliness that we've looked at this morning. Does that make sense? You've got to see the ugliness before you can see God's grace. Man, I would have killed Judah along with his sons. Take them out. Who needs them? Thank God. He didn't because that means he'd have to take me out. Because I'm just as big a sinner as Judah. And that's the greatest sin probably that we commit. For those of us who, Christians, we've got to act together, you know. We're hypocrites like Judah, and you know, we've got different classifications of Christians, you know. We got the slime balls down here like Judah, you know, really walked away from God. And then we've got people, they're doing okay, you know. We're always on top, of course. <laughs> you know, that's just as sinful as going out and being a party animal. Right? That's self righteousness. That's saying, I'm righteous because of myself. No, you're not righteous because of yourself. You're righteous because of Jesus Christ. If God has blessed you with being a mature Christian, it's nothing about you, how hard you've studied the Bible, how much you've committed yourself, how much time you've given. It's all by the grace of Christ. And when you see a struggling Christ follower, when you see somebody involved in sin, you should just pray, Oh God, give them the grace that I've experienced from you. Don't go judging them, looking down on them. It's so hard to do because we're so sinful. <laughs> so my question for you is, where are you at today? you got the key of repentance. What do you need to repent of? Maybe you're here today and you've been doing the good works thing, thinking, maybe I'll go to heaven if I'm good enough and... Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you, you'll never be good enough because you're a sinner. You're a Judah. And the only way that you're going to heaven is to take the key of repentance, repentance of your sin, and say, Lord, I have, I've got nothing and I just give myself to you and I, I just uh, want to be your child. I want the free gift of salvation that you offer and I come to you humbly and just fill me up. When you do that, you become a child of God. And if you're there, oh, please, please make that decision. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Believe in Him and His salvation for you, and, and you shall live forever with Him. Uh, maybe you're here and uh, you're a Christ follower, but you're, you're in deep rebellion. Maybe nobody even knows about it. And I've said it enough during this message, warning you about rebellion. You know, take the key. Have a Judah moment. Say, Lord, please forgive me. 
And you open that door and the grace just flows out of the door and the love and the acceptance. Or maybe you feel like you're doing okay. Praise God for that. You know, but there's always sin there. You just, you know, the Christian life is just a journey of growing in Christ, being restored and discovering new pockets of sin that we didn't know about. That we put that key of repentance in and our lives are transformed. When we get to uh, the New Jerusalem, where we'll spend eternity, there's going to be 12 gates into the city. And one of those gates, no, are the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. And one of those gates will be the, uh, the tribe of Judah. Judah's name will be there. Judah. We'll walk by it maybe every day. Who knows? Forever. <laughs> And remember the story. And you look at that gate and you say, Oh, thank God for His grace. And you'll think about your life and you'll say, Thank God for His grace. This is what Christmas is all about. It's about experiencing God's grace. And my deepest desire for all of you is that you would experience more of God's grace than you're experiencing right now. And that prayer is for myself. That's pretty good. Oh, Lord, thank you for this story. Unfortunately, it's not preached very often because of the nature of it, but wow. It is power-packed with grace. Thank you for what you've taught us this morning, and I pray for my friends, wherever they might be in their walk, and I pray that they would uh, take the key of repentance give that gift to you this Christmas and ask you for the the strength and initiative to make true changes in their life. In Christ's name, amen.